May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words to life, our God. Amen. So apparently, somebody in this church was on television on Friday night, Saturday morning, talking about how marvellous the Budokawa are, and how you can almost touch Christmas. I channeled my inner John Campbell. <laughs> if I'd had a little bit more opportunity, I would have uh, waxed lyrical, of course, uh, about how wonderful Advent is well. Uh, the gift of Advent. And how Advent reminds us that Christmas is important, but it's not the point. So as I said last week, in Advent we are reminded to prepare for the Christ of history, uh, the Christ we meet in the Christmas story. So we have this lovely nativity here, friends who would be outraged by this nativity and the others around the church. So what are wrong with this nativity? Well, there are two things that are very wrong. One of them is Jesus is actually in the cradle, the manger, not supposed to be there till Christmas Day, and there are wise men over here. And they should be over there somewhere, far, far away, because Epiphany is not till January. So they don't enter the story for a long time yet, so they shouldn't be anywhere near up front. But never mind, I'm very grateful for Jill and others who came, and Jill and Sandy who came and put that up. So in Advent we prepare for the Christ of history, which begins with the Christmas story, but it's actually the whole of the story of the Gospels where Jesus lives out the reign of God and everything that he does and how he treats people. But we also prepare for the Christ of mystery, where we encounter the crucified and risen Christ at work in the world today. And how do we know where to look for the, the risen Christ? Well, we look back to the Christ in history and the kind of things that Christ did is continuing today. The reign of God continues to come. It is now and is not yet, still. And then we look for the Christ in majesty, when all that we hope for, or more importantly, all that God looks for, all that God hopes for, will come. However we understand that. When the reign of God comes, when creation is renewed and humanity is restored. So, Advent reminds us that Christmas is important, but it's not the point. The point is that much bigger story. And we always have to hold that in mind as we prepare for Christmas and as we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is important, but it's not the point. And we're given four themes, four themes to think about as we... Well, we're using this actually a number of groups of four themes, but we are using the four themes of... Uh, peace the first week, so we had a interact an interactive service at our 9.30 and that's the product of our creativity or what, some of our creativity up there. And then we last week we had hope and then this week we have joy. So what is joy? There's no artwork for the other ones. They're still hiding in the cupboard. What is joy? Uh, well, as a Franciscan, joy is important. It's one of the central Themes within the Franciscan life. Francis talked about perfect joy, and uh, and I've talked about it in other years. 
And in your pew sheet, I've given you a definition of joy that comes out of our principles that we read every month. Um, well, that's part of the definition. And it talks about how joy is a gift from God. It's different from happiness. It's a gift from God that we are able to nurture. Happiness is more something that's dependent on what's going on in our life. Joy is something that sits there despite what is going on in our lives. Which is why Francis was so enthusiastic about it. A couple of weeks ago I based my sermon around Elie Weisel's book Night on the Holocaust. And I promised that uh, I would use my current book in a later sermon. So the current book is called The Book of Joy. Lasting Happiness in a Changing World by the Dalai Lama, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Douglas Abrams. It's a wonderful interfaith book uh, and it's a weaving of three things. So for Archbishop Tutu's 80th birthday, he invited the Dalai Lama to come to Cape Town to join him in the celebrations, but the South African government buckled under pressure from China and revoked his visa which uh, Tutu railed against the government for, probably still does, at every occasion, really. Uh, so for the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday, he invited Archbishop Tutu to go to where he lives in India. And uh, so they turned that into an occasion where um, they had a conversation about joy for about a week. So, um, and Douglas Abrams was the person who kind of organised that, pulled it together, and he then online asked for questions uh, and then framed that conversation. Um, so we have the story of their meeting and what happened between them. Uh, we have the, some of the text of their conversation uh, and how they interacted with each other from their different perspectives as Buddhist and Christian, and Douglas Abrams as a Jew. And then uh, Douglas Abrams has interweaved into their uh, a number of um, scientific research um, about the kind of things that they're talking about and, and what science says about those things. So it's a very interesting book. And it's all about joy. And they begin by talking about how joy is different from happiness, although the, the name of the book is Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. Uh, and in one of the conversations... Um, interweaved into that so it's not part of the conversations but in the, in the book um, Douglas Abrahams uh, kind of weaved in some research done by Sonia Lubomirsky who talks about three ways of being happy the kind of three pillars of happiness so the first of those is the ability to reframe a situation positively so an example of that was last week uh, when the leadership of ANC was on Robben Island which was supposed to be a prison, and they reframed that as we are now in a university, preparing for the day when apartheid falls and we will be in the government. We need to be ready for that. So that's one way of reframing that positively. It's quite a big example. Archbishop Tutu had the smaller example of when he is cut off in traffic by somebody who wants to go very fast. He used to get annoyed and angry, but now he prays for that person who is clearly... Uh, needs to get to the hospital for his wife's baby or who's giving birth or an emergency has happened and he needs to get home or he reframes it positively so he can then pray positively 
for that person. And the Dalai Lama talked about where he lives in India uh, is up in the mountains and the planes are often delayed or cancelled and so he's at the airport waiting and his flight is cancelled or delayed and he used to get annoyed but now he sees that as a gift that he can spend time in prayer and meditation. What a gift of this extra opportunity that I might not have had otherwise. Small examples about how we can reframe an experience into a positive thing. So that's the first pillar of happiness or joy. The second is the experience to experience gratitude. The ability to experience gratitude. To be grateful for what our lives and what's happening. Uh, and uh, to not be envious of what others have. In fact, uh, to be grateful for what they have. To be able to look at the, the flash car that the other person has and to say, well, that person wants to have happiness in their life just as I have, and so I am, gr- I am grateful that they are experiencing happiness with their expensive car, rather than going and looking at the car and going, I wish I had that car. So being able to, being able to be grateful for what you do have and for what others have. And then the last one, which is at the heart of Buddhism, is uh, to be kind or generous. Compassion is one of the things that sits at the centre of Buddhism, to grow, to be compassionate people. Now the Dalai Lama told this amazing story of um, one of his uh, uh, people who looked after one of the temples in, um, in the capital of Tibet, uh, and when the Chinese invaded, the Dalai Lama eventually fled. Uh, and this person who looked after the temple was arrested, along with many other leaders, Buddhist leaders in Tibet, and they were sent off to gulags. Um, the Chinese didn't call them gulags, but they were essentially gulags where many people died. They were very poorly treated. And this person, when he was eventually released 28 years later and could join the Dalai Lama in India, said, I was in mortal danger many times during that 28 years and the Dalai Lama thought that he meant well that's ridiculous like of course you're in mortal danger like every day you could have died and he said there were many times when I could have lost compassion for my Chinese captors that was the mortal danger his own life was unimportant holding compassion for his Chinese captors was that was the primary importance how hard would that be for us So, the three pillars then are reframing a situation positively, experiencing gratitude, and being kind or generous. And it is really interesting as I listen to that book and I'm reminded of those three pillars, how often those three themes keep coming up. They just keep coming up again and again and again. The three pillars of joy. And they come up in... The reading that we heard today from John the Baptist, about John the Baptist, from Luke's Gospel. John the baptizer with his baptism of repentance. Repentance being more than saying sorry about changed behaviour and the forgiveness that is offered through that. Now, this forgiveness, the Greek that's at play here is more than just God saying you're forgiven. It is being unbound or unchained, unbound or unchained from how, from those things that have held us to seeing the world and behaving in a certain way and been given an opportunity to see the world differently. 
which is exactly what those three pillars of joy are, aren't they? Being unbound from not being grateful, for example, to being grateful, from unbound to being grumpy at people who cut you off in the traffic and who drive slowly and take too long to get around roundabouts and all the rest of it, to being reframing that. And unbound from holding all things for ourselves and instead being generous, kind, compassionate. Those other things still exist within us. There's no saying those things don't exist within us, although the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop did have quite an intense conversation about that. The Dalai Lama saying, well, if you meditate enough, those other emotions will go away and you will have emotional health. And the Archbishop going, yes and no, yes, you'll be able to control them more, but there will be times when they will resurface and then we just need to be kind on ourselves and not be too grumpy about feeling those things and letting it go and saying we are human and once again trying to kind of cultivate those three pillars. So the Dalai Lama wasn't going to have any of that. He said, no, if you meditate, they will all disappear. It was very interesting. But uh, so those things do exist in us, but we are no longer controlled by them. This is what that baptism of forgiveness was about. And John was saying we need to be unbound from these things. We need to be unbound from this way of seeing the world. And he, he carries a warning in there. Uh, all those people of Israel, especially the leadership, came and they went, well, why do we need this baptism of repentance? We are children of Abraham. And he said, well, that doesn't count. Like It doesn't matter if you're children of Abraham. You still need this baptism of repentance. And the same thing is true for us. I think often we think, well, we're baptized, so we're okay. And actually, we too need to be unbound almost daily from those things. We need to consciously know that God unbinds us. Being baptized, well, that's all very well and good. But it's what happens after that that is important. The fruits of repentance, as John talks about. That is what is important. We might say... Baptism is important, but it's not the point. And then he talks about how we might live this unbound life. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with the nature and nurturing of joy. So people came to him and they said, well, what should we do? How do we live out this baptism of repentance? And he says, well, live generously and compassionately. If you have two coats and you see someone with no coat, give your second coat to them. If you have food and you see somebody without food, share your food. Be compassionate. Be kind. And then tax collectors and soldiers come to him and he says, why the first two pillars of joy, reframing from I need to accumulate more for myself which was, well, don't do that. Reframe that. You don't need more for yourself. You have enough. Don't cause poverty in the world. Live gratefully for what you have. You have a good job. You have enough to live on. You are secure in your lives. Be grateful. Do not continually want more. Do not be a cause of poverty in the world. Those three pillars at work 
in John's answers to those people. Well, here we are coming up to Christmas in the third week of Advent. And with Christmas where it is, that means we have just over a week to go. And we're offered this opportunity to think about joy and these three pillars of reframing, of being grateful, and of being compassionate. And as we think about how we live in the world, what is it that we need to be unbound from so that we might be joyful? And how might we take those pillars and live in this way that John invites us to? What does it mean for us to base our lives on these three pillars of joy so that we might be part of God's ongoing movement in the world? So I invite you to think about that for a moment. What do you need to be unbound from? And how might those three pillars be more consciously built into your life that you might nurture joy in your life, this God-given gift of joy?